This episode of the Beauty Industry Podcast was brought to you by Private Label Skincare. Create your own brand of skincare in just 30 days. Hello and welcome to the Beauté Industry Podcast, your online support community for the professional beauty industry. I am your host, founding director of Beauté Industry, Tamara Reed. Here, we are closing the competitive gap and speaking your language. This is a platform created and dedicated to the professional beauty industry, valuing community over competition. We serve to help connect you with inspiration from industry experts, expand your knowledge through educational pieces, and bring you the latest in product and technology innovation. This is Beauté Industry. Today, my guest is Bay Bradfield. Bay and I met at a women's networking event in Brisbane, and when she told me she was a sales coach who had previously worked in the hair and beauty industry, I was immediately excited because I had been searching for the perfect person to feature on this podcast to talk sales, but not just anyone to talk sales. They had to understand our industry because it is so different to many others out there. Now, I know that sales, retail, and figures are a sticky subject for many of you, so I hope in today's conversation, Bay and I can show you that being a salesperson is nothing more than just being a regular person who talks about things they know they will help the person standing in front of them. This conversation takes us through the notion of stress around selling, why we fear rejection of sales before someone has even rejected us, targets and incentives for staff and overall business goals that you should be setting for your business. Here's Bay and I for Beauty Industry. Bay, welcome to the Beauty Industry podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Me too. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, Bay, I want to start all the way back at the beginning of your career. Where did you enter into the professional hair and beauty industry? Yeah, so it feels like so long ago. And it's something that I actually feel had a huge impact on even just the person I am today. I think so much of the industry, we, a lot of the time, a lot of people go in so young and they're really built with so many skills. So I actually love where I started. It was very humble beginnings. Um, In 2009, I think it was, I started my hairdressing apprenticeship and I remember I just had that attitude. And I remember I was working in this small town and, you know, there was this one salon and, you know, she was so hard, like she had really high expectations. She'd, you know, come to this small little town from Sydney and just didn't have that small town, um, nice vibe that you kind of get brought up with. And everyone was saying, okay, if you want to go into the hairdressing industry, just don't go to that salon because, you know, she's, she loses a lot of stuff. She's quite tough. Right. So I only applied for one and it was that salon. (laughs) I was literally like, I'm ready. Like, let me in. And oh my goodness, she absolutely broke me, but she absolutely raised me up as well. And it was absolutely amazing. Um, you know, just going into and like understanding this whole world that I never really knew the other side of it because it seems so glamorous, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody in the industry is like, Oh my God, you're a hairdresser. You must just have, you know, get your hair done all the time or, (laughs) you know, in the beauty industry, Oh, you must just always have facials. And it's like, 
no, I'm standing on my feet for 12 hours a day and I'm inhaling my lunch and, (laughs) you know, all the things that go with it. And it was just this huge eye-opening thing um, that she taught me so much just about, you know, the industry. And I learned so quickly because she had come from Sydney and so much experience. Um, I then left that salon because I really wanted to move to the Gold Coast and up to Brisbane because it was a small town. And I thought, you know, I do really want to have a little bit more experience and kind of see what's happening outside this little bubble that I live in. And I worked for a really um, high-end salon in a uh, hotel. And again, it was so hard. The clients were really high-end. They, you know, were just such a different type of person. They were, you know, always in a rush and, you know, everything, customer service just had to be immaculate to the point of, you know, putting the water on the right-hand side of the client rather than the left. Like it was just such a beautiful experience. You know, we didn't have capes, we had gowns, you know, we greeted our guests and it was like this huge thing of being in the country town where it was just like, oh, pop the pop the cape on the client to this really beautiful experience. And I started realizing, whoa, this actually makes a huge difference in how people feel when they come and have their services in salon. I then left um, that salon because I'm very ambitious. And I, at the time, um, I can't remember what year it was, but there was a, um, in Queensland, there were two salons that were in the awards. So the Australian Hairdresser of the Year finalists. So of course, with my mindset, I was like, I'm going to work for them. (laughs) So (laughs) I applied and um, actually when I got there, they actually said, oh, did someone not call you? We um, actually filled the position. And I was a third year apprentice at this stage. And I go, well, I'm here now. Can I spend the day here anyway? And they were like, okay. Okay. <laughs> By the end of the day, they asked me to get a model and I had a job. And I literally oh. was like, this is the best. And again, it just really exposed me to that next level um, in the industry that I was just seeing a completely different way of running where, you know, the salons I'd worked in previously were doing hair and um, sorry, color and cutting where the salon, I just specialized in color. So it was a whole different thing of being you know, what's better for me? Is it all round or is it more specialized? And Mm. that started getting me thinking as well. Yeah. And then after I left there, I went to work for a salon. Um, It was a very small salon and I ended up becoming the manager. We grew the team. Um, We brought on a lot more assistants. Um, By that stage from the experience that I had, I actually had decided um, to pull the apprentices out of TAFE out of college um, and train them in-house myself just so that we could keep the standard to where we wanted it to be. Um, And that was amazing. I love teaching. And I think that this was that real big thing or that moment for me of like, hold on, I'm not meant to do hair. I'm meant to teach people to be better at what they do or bring out like their hidden gifts on like what's what's kind of in there that they haven't really got out yet and they're not really going for it and um so I was doing that for a couple of years and then I got the itch to move to London (laughs) (laughs) I think every therapist and hairdresser gets that London itch right (laughs) right because it's so transferable like it's and that was the thing as well like I knew I didn't want to 
when I started hairdressing, I knew I didn't want something that locked me into being here. I wanted something that could transfer wherever that I wanted. And, you know, that's the amazing part about this industry is that you can. Mm-hmm. And I went to London and I was lucky enough to uh, land a job with a, um, a product company, um, so a hair color company. And my job there was to uh, teach um, the technical side of hair. So I was going into salons every day, traveling around the UK. It was amazing. Um, and I was teaching. And I got to a point where I was kind of like, you know, it's all well and good that we're teaching the staff how to do the, you know, the newest trend. But how is this growing the business? Mm-hmm. And because I had that managerial background from seeing a salon grow from, you know, just a couple of staff to, you know, I think we may be six times the staff. It was huge. Um, and then they ended up opening a second salon after that. Um, I was kind of like, it's all well and good that we teach hairdressing skills, but salon owners don't really know what, like they're not getting any extra mm. skills in the business aspect. So I went to the area manager and I said, look, I feel like we've got, like a lot of missed opportunity here because as an educator, yes, it was my job to teach, but it was also my job to help the hairdressers use the products so they could use more or sell more so that then as a company, we could sell more in. Right. And I was just like, I don't think that what I'm teaching when I go in the door is actually being looked at from a business perspective. And it was like looking at things like, oh, you can do it this way because it'll stand you out from your competitor down the street. Or you can, um, you know, if you upsell this extra, you know, service, then, you know, you're closer to hitting your targets. All of those sort of things. And I was out there with my manager one day. She was like, you don't even teach hair, you teach business. And I was like, it's so important. Mm. It's so important because when I was in the salon, I treated my column like a business. I knew my numbers every single day. I knew what my target was. I knew how far I was. I knew what day was usually busier. So what percentage of, you know, each um, day do I want to be kind of getting towards my weekly target? Um, And I had the team doing that as well. And it's really important that the staff kind of understand they're not just a technician, but they have their own little business inside the business as well. And so I was out there teaching it. My, My manager said, well, maybe we'll just move you into a business education role. And I was like, yes, I want this. This is the best. I could make such an impact because I do feel like in the hair and beauty industry, we get taught a skill and that is beauty and it's hair. There's not a lot out there on how to run your beauty business until obviously you've come along and you're supporting business owners with that as well, which is amazing. But it was just, you know, back five years ago, it was like, oh, you just get the skills. And then you're like, I don't want to work for anyone else anymore. And I'm just going to start this salon. And then you're like, oh my God, the bills, like staff, what the hell is happening? (laughs) It's the craziest thing, isn't it? Like in Germany, before you open a business, you actually have to have a business degree or a bachelor. Um, Whereas here, it's, as you said, like we feel like as therapists and as technicians, we are the best. We can't go any further. We feel like we can just open an ABN 
and then tomorrow we're a business owner and then not only are we doing the treatments but we are ceo of finance we're ceo of marketing ceo of socials and then it's kind of like actually do you know what i'm not good at any of that i'm just going to keep doing what i've been doing then we get stuck exactly which is what i love about what you do is because like that is the stepping stone from not only a business thriving, but like staff being happier, like all of these sort of knock on effects that kind of back in the day, that was like you said, it was just kind of like, got the salad now. Let's now just see how it goes, <laughs> you know? Um, and yeah, so I really loved that I got that opportunity and, you know, I worked with businesses to, um, you know, I was going into salons and, and helping the business owner on what are their business goals? What does it look like for them? You know, obviously then, you know, they need to know their numbers and, and what that they need to be making. But I just loved it. Like businesses really, it made such a difference to have that business education. And I also um, used to teach a course that um, within the company, it was one of their courses um, on teaching staff how to run their own column. And I loved that. I loved it so much. The staff was so resistant at the start, but at the end they were like, this is good. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I had that very same mentality prior to going on cruise ships. I was just kind of like, yeah, flitting in and out and selling a bit of product. And I just wanted the commission, you know, so I could go get an extra vodka cruise on the weekend or something like that. <laughs> but it wasn't really a thing for me until I got to the cruise ships and they were like, well, if you don't have clients, you're not making any money because mm. the whole income stream, I think now they have a base wage. But when I was on there, there was no, there was no base wage. So if you were literally standing around all day, you did not have any money. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh my goodness, this is my own little business. Yes. And that's what, that's the kind of um, lesson I came back from the cruise ships feeling and, and it sounds like you did too. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, from there, I ended up moving back um, from London and um, yeah, went back into a sales role still in the industry. Um, and then kind of just realized that, I kind of realized that coming back to Australia to be able to get a position that I had I'd probably have to go to Sydney or Melbourne. And I love Brisbane, sunny Queensland. You can't get any better, I think, um, especially after coming back from London from three years. And I just thought, do you know what? I have a skill in sales, you know, that I can help other businesses. And I don't necessarily, you know, just work with beauty businesses um, anymore, but, you know, it's such a transferable skill that, yeah. And I was just like, this is huge. This is what makes people thrive in their business. And then as a result, you know, have the life and business that they want. So that brings me to today. Yeah. Amazing. Such a special little um, career pathway. I don't think there's many people who feel the same about sales though, especially in the hair and beauty industry. I mean, you said that you always wanted to go for, you know, the best businesses out there who were winning awards and who had the toughest business owner. But I think the general population would go to hard basket. I'm just going to go with what's easy. Um, what is it do you think about sales and about the challenge for you that you actually just really enjoy, which others don't? I think the challenge and sales, I would probably say are separate. I always thrive to be better at my craft, you know, better at, you know, what I was doing. And that was very much in my skill. I wanted to be the best colorist that I could be. And then on sales, although I was being the best colorist that I could be, 
I was actually still shying away from sales. Like in the salon, I was like, I am a hairdresser. I am not a salesperson. And the amount of conversations with my manager of, yep, I talked about the product when actually I really didn't, but I told her that I did. Just, you know, trying to, and then when I was working for an award-winning salon, they actually had this thing in place. And looking back, it was absolutely brutal. And I thought it was brutal at the time, but even if you hit your service target, if you didn't hit your retail target, you don't get paid out your commission for your services. It was intense. So like Saturday afternoon, everyone's like scrambling for retail (laughs) because like it kind of encouraged you because you had that extra incentive. Now, Looking back, I don't know if that was the best option or the, the worst option, but, you know, it really did, I guess, get people out of their comfort zone because it was the reward at the end that they had to do it. You know, there was actual um, incentive to sell. But most of the time when I was in the salon, I hated selling. I felt so uncomfortable. I felt like I was making my client uncomfortable. I was so scared about jeopardizing the relationship with my client because, you know, in the industry, we build such good relationships with our clients. And you're like, I don't want them to think that I'm doing the wrong thing or pushing them into something that they don't want. What are they going to think? Are they not going to like me? Are they, you know, all of these mindset things come up. And so I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, completely. Where does that even come from though? Because all of those questions you just mentioned, I can literally see business owners and therapists thinking about in their head before they even realize they're thinking about it. I mean, why do we make stuff up that our client hasn't even said, I can't buy it today or I can't afford it or can I have a sample before they've even said that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I usually find, well, I think firstly, sales, old school sales had a bad rap. And do you know what? It was a little bit pushy and it was a little bit salesy. And it was just because like sales, what it is today, just it's so much more, there's so much more knowledge and understanding about consumer psychology and what's actually happening in our client's mind and what they actually want. Where before it was, it was just a transactional thing. Like Mm. I've got something, I'm going to sell it to you where I think we've come a really long way in understanding sales and what people want and why they want it. Um, So I think that firstly, that we're kind of holding on to that old sales sleazy mentality of like, Oh, sales is yuck, you know? (laughs) But I also think that within our brain, we hold every single experience that we've ever had. So, you know, you have, we all have been in situations where we've been sold to before and we hated it. Right. So what we come from is we, we don't want to then recreate that experience for our clients because we care about them. They, we want them to like us. We want them to come back. We want them to have a great experience. So we're like, okay, well, sales makes me feel like this because you've got somebody selling to you that used to sell, that still sells in the way that should not be sold anymore (laughs) now it's like well hold on think about some of the positive sales experiences that you had maybe you went and bought you know um a nice pair of jeans or you went out for to a beautiful restaurant or i don't know you had someone selling you a holiday or a ring or anything and start to look at like 
how did that person make the sales experience really nice for you? Because if you've been in an experience where you've walked away, like we have all walked out of a shop strutting, right? As women, we are like, yes, I've got the bags, like (laughs) best, right? And we feel good about what we've bought. So if we can feel like that and someone created that experience within a store for us, then all we want to do is start to think, okay, well, how can I make my clients walk out of the salon holding their retail bags and being like, yes, I'm so excited to use this on my face. I'm going to feel amazing, right? Rather Mm -hmm. than, oh my God, I'm pushing this down their throat. It's very different. So we want to really start looking at how can we create that experience that we've all had but we just have to start thinking about it consciously and being like, why did I feel like that? And then how can you mirror that for your clients? Because I know when I'm walking out of a store and I've got bags and I'm so excited about, like you feel like a new you, right? Mm-hmm. As if we don't want our clients to feel like that as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of the time therapists and, and hairdressers have a real fear when somebody tells them, you have to sell to this client or you have to have this chat today. And then we have a lot of pressure on ourselves to go in and have an outcome. You know, if I don't sell something, it's negative. If I do sell something, it's positive. Whereas I feel like if we just go into the treatment, having an open-minded conversation, finding out the problems, providing a solution it's much less pressure, definitely. Um, And it does, it feels more natural than you have to do this versus actually you've got a problem, therefore I want to help you do this. It's kind of a need versus a want, I think. After the break, Bay and I explore figures, financials, team and targets. But first a word from today's beauty partner. If you, like many of us, have dreamt about having your very own skincare range to sell in your beauty business or online store, today is the day that you can make that happen by creating your very own skincare brand in just a few easy steps. Our friends over at Private Label Skincare have a large variety of naturally active skincare products that have low minimum orders, quick turnaround times and tried and tested formulas. To sweeten the deal, the ranges are Australian-made, vegan, natural and cruelty-free to ensure that there's something for all of your clients to fall in love with. Building your skincare brand has never been easier or more timely as the team can turn around your brand in just 30 days. Head to www.privatelabelskincare.com.au to take a look at the retail and customised products, starter packages and their bulk packaging options. Thank you so much to the team at Private Label Skincare for making this episode of the Vita Industry Podcast possible. And now back to Bay. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that comes down to two parts. It firstly comes down to like, you know, how is the manager or the business owner of the salon communicating that to the team? Because again, we shouldn't be, you know, looking at like, you have to do this. And also like, I really, cause I, everything that I do really understands like human psychology. We actually first need to have our team self-acknowledge why they should do it. So rather than us telling them you need to sell retail because this is this, it's like, why don't we ask the perfect question for them to give us the answer that we would have said anyway. So it could say something like, you know, do you, what, how do you feel like your clients would feel if they had this beautiful product at home that was making their skin feel and look beautiful? 
And then the, the, the team member would say, well, I think they'd feel amazing. Okay, great. So do you think that they'd want that opportunity to have, uh, you know, someone that they trust be able to recommend what, you know, they think is going to be best for them so that they're really confident with everything that they're doing at home? Yeah, I do. Right. Now that's a completely different conversation to you need to sell retail. We've got mm. targets. Right. So I think about like one, getting them to self-acknowledge. And secondly, instead of being like targets, 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 it's like you could even, you know, take it back to, you know, I always look at sales as all sales is, is offering an opportunity to somebody. Yeah. And sometimes I remember when I was in the salon, I was like, okay, I'm going to give this sales thing a go, (laughs) put the products down, talk about them. And they're like, yeah, I'll think about it. And I'm like, never selling to them again. (laughs) Like they're not interested. Right. Mm. But maybe they just didn't have the budget that week because they know how much their service costs. And maybe they didn't think about, you know, an extra 50, 100, $200 for product, but they've just got other things to spend their money on. So I think it is very much about don't let that kind of be a barrier as well. Yeah. 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 It makes a lot of sense. And I think um, sometimes the business owners bury their head in the sand when it comes to their figures and financials. And they're so stressed about tax time and enter financial year that they're also scared of having the conversation around targets and around um, sales figures with their team too. So then that kind of puts the fear in the team. Well, if it stems from the top and I'm scared, well, then my team's scared and then no one's retailing or prescribing anything. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this, like, you know, in terms of my experience of working in the industry, a lot of the fear comes down to lack of knowledge. Like I think that, you know, um, within the industry, it's very much about, you know, offering that service. But at the end of the day, the language of numbers, if it had a language, I'm sorry, the language of business is numbers, right? So like as a business owner, we really want to understand. And then once we understand what those numbers are and what they mean for us, then there is this level of comfort as well. And I think that when we understand it, we can detach because I think the biggest fear for humans is the fear of the unknown. So the reason why we're so worried about the the finances is like, oh my God, what's coming in? How, like, am I going to be able to afford that bill? Like, what is my taxes going to be? But if you already know, what are my fixed expenses? What are my variable expenses? You know, what are my most profitable services? Um, you know, how much do I need to break even? How much do I need to make, you know, for X amount of profit? Then you're like, okay, cool. I just have to do that, right? Mm-hmm. But I think it's because it's this unknown. So I always say, you know, get educated on numbers, whether you have a bookkeeper or you see an accountant or, you know, you just do even, I don't know, there's so much like you could have a, like a course on like financials, you know, available to you. So, you know, just being like really comfortable with knowing what you're looking at rather than being like, I can see the number, but I don't know if that's enough. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we actually have, I'm just going to do a little shameless plug. We have lots of different videos like this, like how to find your break even, um, what a margin versus a markup is on your services and also on your retail, all in our Beauty Academy program. So, um, you know, less than a coffee a day. Easy. You could definitely afford it. Oh my Um, God. You need to have that. Like (laughs) understanding like that Oh my God, that is going to make such a difference to people, how they feel about their financials, because numbers 
like have emotion attached to it. And when you have that education, I honestly think that's going to be huge. Thank you. Um, I want to ask you just going back to incentives and, and targets there, how should a business owner be setting these up? Because this is the number one question aside from what product should I stock in my salon, which is a whole nother podcast altogether. But um, the number two question I'll say in our Facebook community of like, how do I set targets? Where am I pulling this kind of industry number from? How often do I set them? How do I kind of monitor them? I think there's a lot of confusion about that. Again, because we've been the technician and now we're the business owner and everyone's telling us you should have targets for your staff. So we're like, okay, where, where do I get this info from? You know, how often do you suggest that people kind of check in with these numbers and, and set these kind of figures? I actually think the check-in needs to be near on a daily aspect I mean if we're going micro level like I think that the more we look at it the more comfortable we can't become as well so firstly from a mindset perspective because it's not kind of like end of the month oh okay that's it if we look at it on a daily basis then we know are we up to where we need to be and again I remember when I was in the salon like you know I had always had a huge Tuesday and a huge Saturday for some reason, right? So I knew that I was going to make the bulk of my money, um, you know, the what my services and my retail sales from on those days. So I didn't really, I kind of knew the habit. So I think as a business owner, we kind of want to see what's happening in the business on a day-to-day basis. Like what is our busiest day rather than kind of being like, cool, we're going for this target at the end of the week. Let's just hope all the days go well, you know? Like we really do want to be like, okay, what happens in the business? What does this look like? Um, And go from there because once we know our numbers, we can also make strategic decisions around, you know, if you know that Tuesday is your busiest day, then put an extra staff member on Tuesday and take them from Friday and so on, things like that. But going back to KPIs, I think the first thing is knowing like firstly, what do you need to make? Um, And then breaking that down. So then looking towards your goals and going, okay, are we like happy to just stay with momentum for the next six months? Like sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we need to just kind of like get our systems and processes in place. And that's our goal rather than financial growth. And then the next six months might be financial growth. So it's just firstly looking at like, what is your current goals that you're working towards? Um, And then in terms of like getting your staff on board, which I think is a huge thing, I actually think they need to be a part of the process. Like I think I don't actually believe that it should be separate because, you know, when in psychology, when we're told to do something, we either decide, do I agree with this or not, right? If we're somebody feels like they're a part of the process being made, they're like, oh, now I get to do what I want, right? Mm. You know, it's crazy, but it's just basic psychology. So we kind of want to enroll them into the process to say, okay, so we're going to like letting them know firstly, like by not blindsiding them and just letting them know, like, this is the reason why we have to do it, you know? And like, I believe that, you know, I guess it's up to you, whether you're, you, how much you share from a business owner perspective, but I believe that like staff in the industry think that the business owner is just rolling in cash because they see the numbers coming in (laughs) and there's not a huge lot left at the end right but the staff don't really know that 
they're like, oh my God, I'm just working for you and I make nothing and you're just making all this. I know how much I'm making for you, right? Mm -hmm. They don't see all of the bills, all of the everything, right? So I think like if I was to go back and like if I was owning a beauty business, then I would actually be breaking that down with my team. I'd probably be sharing the numbers being like, guys, this is what it looks like. I wish I was rolling in cash, but you know, I'm not, this is, you know, this is the reality of it because I think sometimes the reason why staff have resistance is because they feel like they're getting such a minimum, like they're like, oh my God, you're not even paying me. Right. So I think it's about like letting them be a part of the process and enrolling them into the reason why. So, um, like getting them to be a part of the KPI, like rather than going, this is your KPIs. It's like, why? you know, what are those KPIs and why? So if it's retail, it's like, look, we want to have, um, you know, a minimum of, and I'm making these numbers up, but like 50% of your clients that come in this week, we want to sell, you know, offer them retail and have them purchase. And, you know, the reason why we're doing this is because, you know, we want to make sure that our clients always feel good and, you know, it's a supportive part of their treatment in salon. So, you know, rather than it being like, it's a numbers reason, it's like, what is the bigger reason? Um, Yeah. So I'd go with getting them a part of the process, then teaching them how to run their columns. So get them to calculate what services they made um, for each day, um, how much retail they made. And you'll find, I think for this, you really need to start looking at people's personalities as well. Like I know I'm the type of person that I'm like, I have to be making the most because then I'm a leader. Right. And I've always been that way. I'm like, I have to show that it's possible for other people in the team. And because I was the manager in the salon, I kind of wanted, I kind of held myself to that standard because I was like, if I'm not doing it, then how do I expect to encourage my team to do it as well? So you have people that want to be number one and they'll be like, yes, I'm, you know, got the most retail sales for the month or whatever it might be. But you also might have people that, um, you know, just want to be encouraged. You know, I'm not sure if um, your listeners like have ever heard of like um, the five love languages, but one of them is words of affirmation. (laughs) It's so important with your team as well, because some of them are words of affirmation. They don't want to be the one being like, oh, I've made the, the, you know, hit the biggest target. They might just want to be the person that actually gets pulled aside and goes, you're killing it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you so much. Like you are such a valuable part of our team. And I honestly don't know what our team would look like without you being in it. And that's enough for them where some want money, some want, you know, some just want like to be able to have breakfast with the team, you know, like Mm. start to understand what is it that your team want? Because I don't think it ever should be a one size fits all approach with the team. And that comes down to like, yeah, that communication as well. Oh, hundred percent. You're speaking all of my language. So when I was directing spaces, um, I would walk in and I would ask always two questions at the start. So first of all, do you know why we need to make the numbers? Generally, they would say no. And I would look at their figures and, you know, some people were on 5% rebooking, some people on 12% retail. And so I'd say, okay, if we have 50 clients a week, so say 10 clients a day, you work five weeks, uh, five days, you've got 50 clients a week. Do you think it's fair out of those 50 if we try and get up to 
50% retail, 50% rebooking. So that's really 25 clients out of 50 in a whole week that you're going to rebook. Do you think that's fair? And do you think that's easy? And they'd go, oh, actually, yeah, when you put it like that, and I'd say, perfect. And so do you think it's easy if we talk to 25 clients and we try and get them to be on prescriptive skincare? And they go, yeah, actually, do you know what? I might try and get more than 25 because I don't think half of our clients deserve those results. I think all of our clients deserve those results. And I was like, yes, so excited. And then I'd say, okay, now when you hit that 50% rebooking, 50% retail, how do you want me to tell you that you've done a good job? And then I'd go, oh, what do you mean? And I'd go, well, do you want me to take you out for coffee and we can sit and have a chat? Or do you want a bottle of champagne? Do you want a Lorna Jane voucher? Do you want me to write you a beautiful note? Like, how do you want me to tell you? And they would do all the five love languages without even really knowing it. So they'd go, actually, do you know what? I actually just want like a morning off. I'd love to have breakfast with my partner or my mom. Mm -hmm. And then I want to come in at like 11 you know? And so that was the time and the service thing. So I'd be like, perfect. And once I knew that as a manager, I could have those proper conversations. And then also they would feel love in the way that they wanted to, because prior to that, a lot of business owners would just go, Oh, I'm just going to give them 5% commission or 10% commission. Whereas for the people that want the words and they want the acts and they want the touch, the 5% commission doesn't mean anything to them. So therefore they don't care about the sales. They don't care about the rebooking because you're not showing them the incentive that they're after. Yeah, absolutely. You absolutely nailed that. And I think, you know, from both aspects of like, you know, I think it, it is about communicating, like let them know, let them be a part of what the numbers mean and let them understand it and the why behind it as well. And then obviously that, kind of incentive is huge. I love that. (laughs) When um, we are in our businesses, a lot of the time we have reps and account managers and whatever you want to call them, they're all the same thing, right? Um, People who are trying to develop and grow the business by way of education or like you were saying, actually develop the business, working on the business figures. Sometimes these kind of reps bring in like spreadsheets and kind of sales figures and they'll say, well, your salon's doing X and the salon down the road is doing Y. And also sometimes managers do this with therapists as well. And they kind of say, okay, well, she's doing this, you're doing this. I want to ask you, do you think that competition in sales is healthy or can be detrimental? it actually, again, comes back to the personality type. So I might address like the salespeople first that are coming in. You really don't know what's going on in somebody else's salon. They might have two extra staff members than you, which is a huge amount of revenue, right? To have two extra in your team. So is it a exact side-by-side comparison? That would be my first question. You know, how many hours are these people working? Are they charging the same prices? You know, do they have the same amount of team? All of that sort of stuff. Um, But in terms of looking at your competitors, yes, we kind of want to know whether we're on track, but I believe that, you know, really think about if you had like 10% Um, 10 centimeters of energy. Let's just say it was like physical. You had 10 centimeters of energy and you've got five centimeters looking over at the salon down the road. And then you've got only five centimeters left to help your staff, grow your business, you know, all of the extra things. And it's like, well, do you think you're going to outdo your competitor when you're looking over the fence? What about if you put all of your 10 centimeters into your own business and focused on 
happy clients, retention, you know, um, happy staff, you know, making sure that your business is profitable. I always say, you know, the grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is green wherever you water it. So stop looking over the fence and get your, because the longer you're looking over the fence, the less you've got that watering can in your own hand, watering your grass that is actually important to you. So I come from two ways of, um, you know, looking at your competitors. Yes, we want to look at them kind of just to be like, you know, what are they doing? Um, and you know what's happening in, in the industry and stuff like that. But in the same aspect, I do know that in the industry, there's always this, you know, oh, I can't get that product because, you know, so-and-so down the road has it. And it's just a lot of like, so-and-so down the road has it or this salon or whatever. And it's like, stop thinking about them. Mm-hmm. We've already got so many thoughts that we can use in the day. Focus them on your business because oh, then your competitor is going to be looking at you, right? Love it so much. Actually, someone... Um, the other day called me and they said, Tamara, I know this business who, um, and this is just completely um, off track, but, um, and they said, I know this person, she keeps on looking at you. She's going to try and be better than you. And I said, do you know what? She's giving me all her energy because I don't care about her. I don't care what she's doing. I am too busy in this to worry about her. So while she's looking at me, I'm going to keep looking forward. And I love that because that only just happened the other day. So it's very timely for me. Yes. And it's so true. Like you only have so many thoughts and energy. Why give it elsewhere? Like Mm. water your own damn grass, right? (laughs) Let it grow. And then in terms of, you know, being in salon and, you know, going from team member to team member, Again, it comes down to personality type because some people like myself, I want to be the, I want to be the best. I want to be at the top. I want to lead by example. You know, I want to be able to, you know, by showing that, and it's not even an ego thing. It's like, I want to be able to show through me doing it, that it's possible for other people. And that's what I always did in the salon. But there was also people that would be intimidated by that as well. You know, a lot of, I remember, you know, over the years of being in the salon, I saw all sorts of things of putting the, the numbers of last week's, you know, takings of by team member on the fridge. And mm-hmm. yes, that's going to encourage some people, but it's actually going to, you know, not encourage others. Like it's actually going to put them down even further. So I think it comes down to, you know, also not going, okay, this is my expectation, but having that conversation on, Hey, you're currently here. I mean, I'd love for you to be here, but if we could get just one step ahead, what do you feel like you need from me to be able to help you take that next step? Because it could be, I don't know the products well enough and I'm not confident about it talking about them. Mm. You know, I feel unsure about, you know, I don't feel like I can sell to my clients because I don't know what to say you know, could be anything, but it's like, if you want someone to do something for you, you need to help them by being a facilitator to do that. So it's not like this person's better than this person because that person might just either naturally be better at sales or they've been doing it longer or have more skill. So of course they're going to get different results. Yeah. And this comes back to what you were saying, the daily check-in. And I guess, you know, business owners understanding 
their figures and understanding leadership and their team because they need to also put time aside to have these check-ins, to have these conversations, to know where their team is at so that they can be a better leader, not just bury their head in the treatment room with the client and then just forget about the rest of it. Um, I want to ask you to finish off with the knowledge that you have now. Obviously, you are a sales guru, absolutely killing it. What is something you know now about sales or figures that you wish someone would have told you in the beginning? It would first come from, from a technician perspective. It would be that all sales is offering someone an opportunity and it's educating them and giving them all the information that they need for them to make the best decision for them. Yeah. And just knowing that whatever they say doesn't have any, you know, it's not by any means a reflection of me or anything like that. It's literally, here's an opportunity for better skin to and I know like people at home love doing their skin routine like it's actually a part of something that they enjoy right Mm -hmm. so let's offer them something to enjoy let's offer them something to feel good so rather than thinking oh my god if I sell you this I get commission I would actually look at how am I offering an opportunity to someone that they're going to benefit from so that's a mindset perspective for the beauty therapist and then from a manager or owner perspective it would be to, and I know this sounds crazy, but to get yourself educated on the numbers so you can take your emotions out of it. Like learn, and it's going to take a while, but learn to disconnect the emotion from finances and you'll see it for what it is rather than be in it and feeling it and experiencing it because that's where that kind of like nervousness and that worry and, you know, that fear comes from. That doesn't serve anybody. But if we just look at it, it's like, okay, one plus one is two rather than like, what does two mean for me? (laughs) And just like taking ourselves emotionally disconnecting. And like I said, it will take a while, but to start to like notice those thoughts that are coming up when you do look at your finances, write them down and what's something else you could think of, um, you know, about them instead. Yeah, amazing. Lots of advice from you, Bay. Thank you so much for coming and having a chat with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Wasn't that such a practical conversation on sales and retail? Sometimes I think we talk about things so much in our heads that they become much scarier than they actually are. Try to take everything back to the client having a problem and your educated suggestion is the solution. Bay's tips for you today were to look at the figures free from emotion, open up the conversation, and if you're a manager or business owner, talk regularly to your team and understand the way they like to be incentivized. If you know of someone who needs to hear this conversation on sales and retail today, then please share this episode with them by showing them how and where they can listen and by giving us a little recommendation and rating in your podcast app if you haven't already. You can find more about Bay over on the gram at Bay Bradfield. So make sure you tag her when you show us how you're listening on your stories. Always thank you so much for your time and your ears today. Until next time, stay connected.